And uh, I'm ready, are you? Good, because I'm just going to tell you straight up in the beginning, I'm going through, preaching through first service, and I'm like, what's going on? Um, and this is just one of these days, I'll just tell you this, this is one of these days where the preacher's just kind of wanting to interact with you, okay? This is just me being me, uh, opening some text together, and uh, I don't know why I'm saying that, but I am. And uh, it's just one of those times where it's, uh, man, this week with what we're on, it's been wrestling through how do I bring this, where do I go? I had literally, I had like a half dozen outlines and where to go and where to work it. And just with things going on in our life, it's coming in and down to the point where it's like this. You know what? I just want to go to some of my favorite passages about the subject of what we're talking on today with the people that I love. And so that's what we're doing. Okay? Got it? All right, let's roll. Uh, we're week eight, Radiant God, uh, gra- uh, Grasping His Greatness. Uh, we've talked about how our triune, infinite, eternal uh, God uh, has self-existed, is self-sufficient, is all-present, all-powerful, all-knowing, um, all-holy, and last week is unchanging. And if you want to sound smart, you can say immutable. On that, our God is unchanging. Um, <laughs> talking about how we ebb and flow and don't get it all right. Last last Sunday, second service, uh, I got every service wrong on a piece of data. Maybe you walked out knowing what that was, and bless your hearts, I did not get one email this last week. Like. Hey, PD, you missed that. You missed that. Hey, here's what it was. I had said last week that uh, I was making reference to the earth uh, spinning, and I said in first and second service that it spins about 1,000 miles a second. Now, your life may be busy, and it may feel like it's that fast, but I just want for you to know it was after second service. I'm literally sitting in my office, and I'm like, 1,000 miles a second. Holy moly. That's like flying. And... uh, and so I corrected that for third service, and uh, I said, we, we, the earth spins at about 1,000 miles a day. And then after that sermon, I sit down, and I'm like, wait a second. Like, America's like longer than 1,000 miles. It's like, it's, it's the infamous story. Too cold, too hot. Hey, I just want for you to know. It's about 1,000 miles an hour, okay? Earth's Earth's circumference is about 24,000, okay. All right, just got to get it. I feel better now. I feel better now. Uh, Not calling me a liar. And uh, (laughs) I told you, I'm just sharing my life today with what's going on. Well, we're at week eight. um, And here's, I think, a question that should be rising up within all of us at this point in time. What should be coming out of this series at this point? Because we've got uh, a while yet to go. What should be rising up? What should be showing as we're talking more and more about who God is? And um, I'm just going to say it this way. Worship. Increased worship should be happening in us. And really, I'm starting in Psalm 33, and then we're going to go to four other 
core passages, but I think Psalm 33 really shows us this. And, and essentially, here's what I, I'm just going to read some of Psalm 33 here, because it starts out talking about just joy and worship and what it looks like. And by the way, it, it's not tame, it's not laid back, it's like full out. And really what that worship in Psalm 33 is founded upon is the subject of what t- today is today. Our God is creator. And let, let's see it, let's follow, let's begin here with this. Psalm 33, you there? Here we go. Uh, Verse 1, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Uh, Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make melody to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. So often the Psalms do, it kind of starts out with a declaration of where the Psalm is going. It's kind of, usually it's about who God is, and then all of a sudden it jumps into the meat of what's behind that. Let's jump into the meat, verse 4. For the word of the Lord is upright. Why is it talking about the word of the Lord? Hang on. And all his work is done is faithfulness. Why is it talking about his work? Hold on. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Here we go. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. That's why it's important in verse 4 to say, for the word of the Lord is upright and his work is done in faithfulness. Because here's the meat of it. Uh, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breadth of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. You see how he's talking about how God is creator and how that carries out? Verse 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Verse 9, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Let's go down to the end of the psalm, verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name let your steadfast O lord be upon us even as we hope in you amen right uh, note some things here summarize up it talks about worship that shouts for joy worship that gives praises unto the lord gives thanks to the lord uh, worship that makes melody to the Lord. The songs, by the way, you see, songs that are also new songs. In other words, as life continues on over time, new songs arise at different songs. Hey, I thank God for the old songs, but there also should be new songs that rise up within God's people uh, with music and not just uh, somber, but you see that? Verse 3, with loud shouts. Verse 8, worship that stands in awe of the Lord. Verse 20, worship that waits for the Lord. 21, glad in the Lord. Uh, trust in the Lord. 22, hopes in the Lord. This is what should be arising, friends, out of our study in this period of time. And here's what's so, I think, unique as I'm even kind of getting my arms around this present series as we're going through this is so often when we talk about things, we, we talk about God and what he is doing or how that has implication, and it is the same here with this series. But this is one of these times where it's kind of like all our eyes are just focused on God and who you are. And like, let's, God, let's just see you, Okay? Let's just see you more. 
And I actually don't need to have like all the details laid out of what that then even means to me. I just want to see you more. Because as I see you more, all of these things are, should begin rising up in us. And that includes waiting in the Lord and hope in the Lord and trusting in the Lord. So, so that's where we're going. What should be rising up in us as we continue in this series? I pray increasing, increasing, increasing life worship. Song? Absolutely. Like shouts but also in our daily, ongoing life of who God is. So I'm going to take us to four of mine, just straight on the table, four of my favorite passages in Scripture that make reference, that point to our God as creator. And the first one is what? You have it there in your notes. What is it? <laughs> We're going there every week, it seems like, doesn't it? Genesis 1, turn there. And the divine beginning of creation. We're going to be spending a little bit more time here on this text and and a little less on each of the coming three. But this is starting in the beginning is a great place to get started. And just know this. Here's one of the interesting things. God, uh, the, the, the word of God, the Bible, is God's self-revelation. Let me say that again. What is the Bible? The Bible is God's self-revelation. How do we know about God? Right here. God is telling us about who he is. And it is no just little random dink that the very first thing that God tells us about us, about himself, is that he created everything. That's an important fact, by the way. In fact, all of the rest of scriptures, all of the rest of who God is, really, if you could say, the way the Bible is ordered, begins with the fact that God is our creator. Look at verse 1 and 2. In the beginning of what we know as creation, God, Elohim, plural, uh, created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Really, we begin here with a creation statement. It's put on the table. There is a divine Godhead behind our existence. There was not a physical existence that this divine Godhead then stepped into. That's an important deal. It's not like uh, some physical existence was there and then this, this Godhead hijacked it or, or took it over in some kind of power play. Uh, know this. Uh, there was God and then there came existence out of God. Uh, he was first. And in the move of it all. That's a creation statement. And I'll just add this. All of his, therefore, divine, I'll call them fingerprints, are all over everything. Everything. Whatever planets we might be able to see or go to, just know this. Uh, uh, in all reality, one thing we can find on every one of those places is God's fingerprint. It's on it. It's through it. It's around it. And uh, this just did not happen, and then God showed up, God was, and then this happened. A creation statement. I think the next uh, verses kind of carry into this uh, creation description. Uh, God tells us um, how it happened. By the way, a lot of you don't know me uh, back. I was in, in business for 20 years before coming into full-time ministry. And in that, uh, part of what I did, uh, like a number of you here do, was, uh, was designing, inventing, if you will. And I remember back <laughs> in the day, so some of you younger folk are going to laugh at this, but that's all right. 
to, to be able to have a, a validation for like patent pending ideas if you came up with them, uh, you had to have a, like a stitched book. So, and the reason was is to be able to prove the timing on it. And so as time went through, you would date it and you would have your thoughts, your drawings, your various things on it so that if you took that to patent and, and they wanted to clarify, it wasn't like in a three-ring binder so you could just like insert a sheet with a date way before, okay, and cheat the system out. So back in the day, before there was computers, there was a day, before there was CAD drawings, that's what you do. And can I say this, this is kind of me coming out of that, and a lot of you who are developers, I'll also say who are kind of artists, who are creative types. This is a text that is awesome, because this is like God's bound book. And God didn't tell us, have to tell us or describe to us even how he did some of this. God didn't have to do that. All he could have said is, is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now let's get on later in Genesis. But he tells us this. Don't, don't miss that fact. Even though there's so much debate about what goes on here, don't get stuck in that. Savor the, the, the beauty of your... God is literally telling us some things about how he made this all happen. And let me just read a little bit of that. Verse 3, and God said, God said, let there be light. Bam! That's somewhere in the text. There was light. And God saw that the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, and the first day. Uh, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And, and God made the expanse and separated the waters, and they were under the expanse of the waters, that they were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. I'm telling you, friends, you should keep reading this. It is really cool that God would allow us to know some of this. And that just tells you a good bit about who our God is. He wants us not just to know the data points. He wants us to know that his fingerprints are all over this thing. And all over you and me with what's taken place. And in it, I'll just note this. God spoke things into being. Who can do that? Who can do that? It wasn't a hostile takeover. There was no closet of universe ideas that was a failure, failure, failure until he kind of got it right and submitted it to FDA for approval. None of that happened. God just spoke, and it was. Be awed by that. I think actually that's kind of something, Psalm 33, that is okay just to go, shout! That's our God! That is who he is in what's taking place. Now, as I say all that, uh, being real about it, there's a couple things that always rise up here kind of with, within our thinking, uh, particularly with Genesis 1. Uh, I debated all week whether I'm going to bring it up, but I just am, and there's kind of a couple reasons for it. We'll see if they pan out. Um, kind of one of the questions that comes up with this that's in our own souls as we read Genesis chapter 1 where you read this and you kind of go, this is really cool. And particularly at the end when, when God says, this is all very good. This is very good. There's something within us where we live this side of Genesis 3. And we kind of read a text like that and we go, that's all really cool, but we live in a broken world. 
and there was a design flaw somewhere. You know what I'm talking about? And so we read this first chapter, and there's something to where it's like, yeah, but, but sin came into the picture. And I'm not going to take the time today to go through talking about that or even with the next one in, in any kind of great detail. I'm just going to make mention of this. This is where then you come back to the issue of who God is. Okay, it's okay to have questions. It's okay even to push back. It, it's okay. Look at the Psalms. God can handle our pushbacks. But in it, we need to both be willing to seek God's answers, observation. A lot of times people get irritated with God, mad at God, uh, disenchanted by God or his people, and yet they don't really want to go find out who God is and what God then has to say about the things that we give pushback on. They just want to leave it that I'm mad. Okay, I don't want to be the mad about it guy. And in this whole thing, as, as we move along here, just know this. There was not a design flaw in God's perfect creation. God gave Adam and Eve, just like he gave the angelic beatings, the opportunity to choose, and I'm getting into it, but I'll just say this, that is real love, not robotic following. And in it, just know this, we bring it back to who God is. God is all-knowing, God is all-powerful, God is all-holy. And if there was a flaw None of those are then are true, okay? So work these things through, uh, ask, interact on them. The next question that always comes up is, is uh, so is it literal days or figurative days? And when I say that, you can just feel the room go, <laughs> is he really going to talk about that? Um, I am just for a minute, and actually maybe for reasons that you might not know. I actually kind of want to set on the table a bit of a precedence because as time goes on, I'm just more and more convinced, particularly for our youth, they're not being provided a very good example on how to have differing viewpoints on some things. So let me make a couple comments on this. Uh, I'm going to tell you what I think, uh, but before doing so, um, if you disagree with me, I do not think that you love Jesus less or I do not think that you love his word less. I want you to know that, and I mean that seriously. Uh, and I would ask the same to me um, in it as well. Uh, God's people can disagree on theological pencil issues. And I'm even going to say this used to maybe more be more of a pen issue to me uh, as I get older and mature and kind of see some things. I think it's more of a pencil issue. What do I mean by pen and pencil? Let me say it this way. Pen theological issues are the virgin birth of Christ, Things like the deity of Christ, the death, resurrection, and the return of Christ, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, that, that, that's a pen issue. And I would also say this, that our God is creator is a pen issue. Pencil issues, um, the li literal or figurative days of creation understanding, I would say would be a pencil issue. And why do I say that? Because it is not by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus a correct day understanding of the days of creation. Okay? I just want for you to know that. You may disagree with me on that, but that's okay. Uh, with that, I'll just say this. I, I, I'm, I understand Genesis 1 to be talking about literal days. Uh, so you don't think I'm a flat earth person that hates science. Let me just make a couple comments about this. Because here's really what ends up happening is nowadays this is so fragile 
that you end up, if you say what you are, and I'm in the minority nowadays, increasingly so, it ends up being like, yeah, so you don't, you don't love science, or you don't think sci- much of science, or you think the earth is flat, don't you? And the insults start flying. And sometimes, by the way, it's the other way. It's like, you know, if, if you think in a long earth uh, creation process of evolution in that kind of format, millions and millions of years, and you clearly don't love Jesus, or you clearly don't love his word, I'm just saying, I'm just so out on all that. Instead, I'll just say this. Here, here's why I think there's a, uh, just a couple of my reasons why Genesis 1, I think, is literal days. I think it's one, number one, it's the natural reading of the text. When you go through, it's just the natural reading. And why is that important? I'll just say this. Uh, that becomes my starting point. I think both views are something to be looked at and studied and considered uh, in light of what's going on uh, in the conversations of it. But, but your starting point matters. And in that, I think my starting point is that, and then I want to work that on out. Uh, so your, your natural reading of the text, your starting point matters. Also, just a couple, like I'm doing various things to kind of show different angles on it. One is the theological. I just cannot get wrapped around my head the idea of death before the fall and pulling that together when you have millions, millions, millions of years that require death and death and death and death. But yet, Scripture talks about how death did not come until after sin came into the picture. I'm personally not satisfied with the explanations that come back theologically about that. That's where I'm at. Uh, Last item I'll just mention is I actually think there's a lot of fragility in the confidence that we have in in science itself. Uh, Radiocarbon dating uh, is a method for calculating age estimates of organic materials. You know that. And it's super fascinating stuff. And, and I enjoy reading and taking a look at it. Uh, but it has, you need to understand, it has decay composition. I'm just using those terms. Uh, assumptions in it. And one of those is, is the environmental constancy that needs to take place in it. And I'll just cut to the chase. I'm watching the History Channel uh, a couple years ago and uh, a PhD uh, geologist uh, coming on. They're not even talking about the Noahic Flood. They're talking about the whole idea of what could be catastrophic events that happen on the earth uh, scientifically. And one of them was the flood. Uh, you know, worldwide, they weren't talking about Noah's flood. They weren't talking about any of that. And yet in the comment, he's going along and he's saying, if there were, was a worldwide flood, all carbon dating would be null and void. And I'm just going to tell you, for me, he wasn't proving, he wasn't a Christian trying to prove a point. He was just making the comment. I'm just, and I'm not even saying he's right or wrong. I'm just saying the fragility of it is there. And I just want for you to know this. Youth, you can have discussions about things and love one another. Okay? And if you have a long earth view, I don't think you're less a follower of Christ. I don't think you love Jesus less. I think it's a pencil issue. But at the same time, uh, you know where I'm at with it. And uh, if you want to come to the bright side, you can. No, I'm kidding. Okay, that was a strategic pastoring, seriously, pastoring move as we grow as a church. Uh, I just want for you to understand, but also understand uh, how you can have conversations on pencil issues. So a creation description, Genesis 1, and let me get back to the text, a creation directive, verse 28, uh, 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created, male and female he created. Know this, friends, in all of creation, there is something divinely unique about humans, okay? Know that. We have two kitty cats, one I call Karen's boyfriend, 
<laughs> they just have a special relationship. But know this, there is something, no matter what Disney says, there is something unique about humankind, okay? God has put his fingerprints on mankind in a unique way. Verse 28, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. He gives a creation directive. And lastly, this creation uh, uh, declaration in verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? It was very good. I mean, can you just imagine that? The Godhead looks back, steps back. Whoa. High five. That's good. That's an important statement to be made with what's going on. And out of it all, you step back and you go, how awesome is God? Shout, man. Shout how awesome is God in all of this. Text number two. Colossians 1, I think adding into the creation, I bring this in because here we have the divine agent of creation, our triune, eternal God created all things, and here we have the divine agent of creation. This is an awesome statement. Colossians chapter 1, let me read verses 15 to 17. He is, speaking of Jesus Christ, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him, by Jesus Christ, all things were created. You should underline that one. All things were created. All things in heaven, all things on earth. All things visible, all things invisible. Whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. By the way, I would really encourage you to carry that into this political year. Just knowing this. The Lord already knows, friends. And he's got it. Whatever goes down, our faith is not in politics. Our faith is in the one who is over of it all. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Man, is there not a whole sermon there? Small groups, dive into it, work on it, talk about it more here this week with it. But I'm going to tell you, there's some gold nuggets there. It's, it's termed this theologically. In the economic structure of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, when it came to creation, we find in Colossians chapter 1 that the second person of the Trinity was the economic agent of creation. That's what the text is telling us. I'm not trying to put that in. That's what the text is telling us. And here's what's so cool about that. What's so cool about that is that the second person of the Trinity, who is the agent of the Godhead to make this happen, in it, he's the one who put his boots on the ground to go to the cross for you and me. The one who is the agent of creation is also the redeemer of creation. It wasn't passed off to some lower being. It wasn't handed off. It wasn't given, you know, to down the train. 
It was given to one of the Godhead, the one who made it, the one who uh, is in control of it. Uh, All of it is to be uh, uh, glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet out of that all, it just tells you so much about the Trinity in this. And out of it all, they all get glory for it. They all are involved. And yet in it, I'm just going to make note of that last part of it. He holds it all together. We're going to see here a little bit later, just be reminded about a coming new heaven and new earth. And how can that happen? Well, for God, it's not that hard. And know this, if he's holding it together, that means that at any moment, figuratively, he can do this. Okay? And then all new. All right? That's just an amazing, amazing statement. Shout. The Lord is awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Text number three, Psalm 139. In the movement of this, Genesis 1, Colossians 1, you can end up walking away from this thing of our God as creator. Is it's like, wow, this is all fascinating. This is big. This is broad. Uh, this is very wide in it. Psalm 139 just brings it back to the intimacy of creation as well. Not only did our God create it all, including mankind, but look at how he goes about the creation of mankind, including you and me. Psalm 139, let me begin in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. If I would understand that correctly, that means like everything? Would I be right? (laughs) That was a Sunday school question, wasn't it? Verse 4, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So it's not just functional. It's also just what's going on in our own minds and souls. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me and when as yet they were, was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake 
and I am still with you. The divine preciousness of creation. We can get caught up in the, in the, 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 the vastness, in the awesomeness, in the grandness, in the greatness, in the expansiveness, even in the details of it all. And yet, it not be personal. And Psalm 139 takes it home, right? I mean, it doesn't get much more personal than that. By the way, how, how often is Psalm 139, this idea of what's taken, carried over into just a view of life? And issues even of our day with abortion. Or even in gender and sexuality. Listen, the, the, the Lord is intimately. And you may go, yeah, but God, it, I, I, I wish you gave me six-pack abs. I, 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 <laughs> Lord, I wish you would have made me a little taller, a little shorter, a little skinnier, a little wider. I, you, know, I, you know, God, I, I got a couple suggestions for you. I, I understand. But you got to admit, verse 17 is correct. How precious. How precious. God's creation is not just functional. It is very, very precious as well. Let's go to our last text. Love Revelation 21 and 22. The divine continuation of creation. Chapter 21, let me begin in verse 1. This is the Apostle John. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. By the way, I really like that, particularly the new earth part. Um, because I don't know about you, there's a lot of brokenness, right? It's come upon our earth, upon all that is in it because of the ramifications of sin. And it's going to all be made new. One day. By the way, you can talk about it in small groups. This is actually why I think in the expanseness of the universe, you clearly see in Scripture an earth pinnacle point. Ancient aliens, I'm not there. I'm just going to leave it there. Listen, there is a new earth that is going to be taking place. And there is something about this creation here that is in God's viewpoint very important. And he even calls it a new earth. And in that reality of it all. And it's something deep and and really even highlights the uniqueness of where we are in this God-sized universe. The first heaven and the first earth passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city anew, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. By the way, I don't think any of this is allegory. I think all of this is going to be the reality of what's going on. Listen, the one who created it all and the one who holds it all, in the Godhead's timing of it all, that could happen again. 
I mean, that's, you know, we say, that's impossible. For you and me, yeah. But not for the one who Genesis 1, Colossians 1, Psalm 139 did all. I mean, this is no big deal. The one who holds it can, can speak it all new. And it'll be all new. Let's keep reading. Verse 10, uh, um, chapter 21. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And notice the details. And showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a high, a great high wall with 12 gates and the gates, 12 angels. And uh, here's, here's what's intriguing to me. Genesis 1, God tells us he began it all. Revelation, the end of the Bible, 21 and 22, tells us God's going to make it all new again. And in Genesis 1, he tells us the details of how he did that. And it's so cool. Our God in Revelation 21 and 22 tells us again the details of how he's going to make it all new. It's information that matters. And it's information that matters because it tells us about how awesome our God is. By the way, when you read the details, and you can read further in the details, particularly that next paragraph in chapter 15 and following, and it talks about all the, it's going to be like this emerald thing, and this jeweled thing, and this color, and okay, time to bring Disney in for a moment. We were at Disney World a couple weeks ago, and I don't know, we hadn't been there for 10, 20 years probably, and the closing uh, show of it all uh, with the, everything's gotten dark on the castle. I don't know if you've been there recently, but it is like out of this world compared to what it used to be like. And so we're there and we're like, yeah, let's hang around with it and it'll be kind of cool. Disney always does things like that really, really well. And we're in uh, Main Street midway there next to this couple we had met, just super sweet young couple. He's a, a bivocational and, and a worship pastor at a small church. Just so cool, kind of a uh, little bit of time there. And then we're watching, the two girls, we're watching this thing together. Sorry. It was like a spiritual moment. As stupid as that sounds. It was a Revelation 21 moment for me. Because I am watching what is happening. And I enjoy engineering of things. And I cannot figure out how they did that. I mean, if, you, if it hasn't been for a while, it is, the whole castle becomes like multiple different castles. I'm like, how did that happen? And seriously, in part of it, I'm like, hey, if I am enthralled by this, I am telling you, friend, eternity is going to be an eternity with the Lord, stunned in awe. I, really, I was like, don't stop, do it again. <laughs> and if that was that awing, and like stand up and like, that, rock on, Goofy. <laughs> do it, Mickey. I am telling you, can you imagine what eternity is going to be like? <laughs> and because of who our God is, it all matters. Now, you can do some more study with these texts. They're there for you, small groups. 
dive in and interact on them. My goal for today was just to have a little bit of time together and some texts that just speak to the kind of the facts and the fabric around our God as creation. Just kind of let it pour over us. I trust the Spirit of God is going to use the Word of God just to do that in us. In a broken world, it's easy to get discouraged. In a very angry world, particularly right now, it's always been angry, but man, it's just so prevalent now. We're called to be people who shout joy, who sing praises unto the Lord. And it is so easy to get stuck in just being mad like our world. But if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have every reason to rejoice. And it doesn't make what's going on now easy. It doesn't make it simple. I vote for a fast pass to eternity. (laughs) But until then, We're to be a people that shout and lift his name high and rejoice and sing and hope and trust. And we get to take communion to do just that. By the way, today's communion, I don't want for today's communion to be kind of a somber moment. Okay, let's, uh, maybe even if it's just in your soul, today's communion really should be more of this. Booyah! The Lord has redeemed me. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've come to the place where you understand that biblically, standing before God, you are sinners separated from him because of our own sin in our life, and yet God, the second person of the Trinity, the agent of creation, is the very one who came to die on the cross in our place to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, conquering sin, conquering death, rising from the dead, and making that a available, not forcing it on anyone, but making that available to anyone who would want to receive that redeeming, ransoming gift done by Christ. For you, this is a time to remember that and to be thrilled. Okay? So today, no, oh, oh, okay? Just when we take the bread and take the cup and you bring it back to your seat and you sit down, I just want, man, even if it's like, thank you, God, just out loud, that's great, that'd be awesome, man, just popcorn it out all over the place, just let her fly. And in your soul, if it's not verbally, just in your soul, God, thank you, you rock your creator, oh my God, you're awesome. Okay? Communion service, if you could go ahead and get in place for us, we'll have... Communion servers in the back, communion servers up front, and uh, after I pray, when you're ready, come and grab the bread, grab the cup, bring it back to your seat, sit down, and then we'll partake together, and let's do it in a Psalm 33 way. And so, Lord, we thank you, we shout declarations of you, And we do that not because of what we wish or what we want to be. We do that because your self-revelation 
tells us about you, who you are, who we are, what you have done for us, and what that means. You are the new creator one. And that includes taking broken souls and making them new again. And God, we are awed by that. We are stunned by that. The truth of the matter is, is we can't even really wrap our tiny little minds around it all. That you love us. That the work you have done is a full new creating work, not a partial work. We realize that we still live here in this spiritual war zone. And until that time comes when we see you face to face, or until that time comes when we are with you in eternity together forever, oh God, I pray that you would be the increasingly, increasingly so, you would be the one that we worship. Boldly. Joyfully. With great pride in who you are. Because you are awesome. And so it is with that mindset that we partake in communion together. And it is in the precious name of the agent of creation, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.